welcome to the Pennsylvania Chamber's All Business Podcast, featuring the perspectives and unique insights of the Commonwealth's most dynamic executives, entrepreneurs, and leaders. My name is Rick Moran, Director of Marketing for the PA Chamber. And this is Bill Miller, Senior Member Executive with the PA Chamber. Our guests today are Hagai Dror, VP of Business and Strategy, and Grant Irvin, Director of Innovation for SNB. SNB is a multi-billion dollar global company that specializes in complex infrastructure projects. This includes all aspects of planning, permitting, construction management, and self-performing construction. In 2020, they moved their United States headquarters to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In our conversation, we talk a lot about SNB, who they are. We talk about the electric vehicle industry, the infrastructure surrounding that, where it's at, where it's headed and why they chose Pittsburgh over many other areas in the U.S. that they could have come to. So with no further ado, here's our conversation today with S&B. Grant, Haggai, uh, real excited to be with you today talking about uh, S&B and talking about e-mobility and electrification. Uh, You know, why don't we start off? We'd really love to learn a little bit more about the company uh, your presence in Pittsburgh and uh, and what your roles are as well. Cool. Uh, thank you very much, guys. We were really happy to to be here as well, and and you know have this opportunity. Uh, so a little bit about SNB. SNB uh, stands for Shikunin Binui, which is actually housing and construction in Hebrew. Uh, the company is going to celebrate 100 years of operations uh, next year. Uh, started in Israel, as you can understand for the name, and still uh, internationally headquartered in Israel, uh, but working pretty much all around the globe, uh, with the U.S. being our main focus for at least the last decade. Uh, in terms of what we do, uh, basically we do cool infrastructure, to put it simply, and if we want to add a little bit more to that, so we do the whole life cycle of critical infrastructure, uh, and uh, important assets, so we develop them, we build them, including self-performing the aspects needed, and then we also manage assets and finance them for their uh, life cycle. Uh, so that's generally what we're doing pretty much around the globe, uh, but also here in the U.S. Uh, in a nutshell, we've been here for about 11 years, I should say. Uh, we started, our first project was a major toll road that we constructed in Houston, SH288. Uh, great example of doing the full life cycle from planning, development, build the road. Uh, now we operate it, collecting the tolls, and uh, actually also finance the project. Uh, and uh, we kind of built our operations around that. Uh, we did a few other very significant projects, and the uh, biggest uh, addition to our uh, company from a uh, staff perspective was uh, the acquisition of Joseph B. Fay uh, out of Pittsburgh here in Pennsylvania. Uh, and this is basically our construction arm. We kind of built our construction arm around it. And as a result of that, also moved our headquarters to Pittsburgh in 2020. Uh, myself, personally, I've been with Chikun in different capacities for almost 12 years now. Uh, in my latest role overseas, uh, I was the chief of staff and uh, advisor to the CEO of the group, and then moved to the U.S. in 2018. Uh, and today, uh, the, the latest endeavor I'm involved in is to develop this amazing uh, e-mobility activity for SMB. 
Awesome. And uh, just to give you a little insights on me, so uh, Grant Irvin is excited to be with you guys also, and I serve as the Director of Innovation uh, for SMB and uh, work on a guy's team in developing uh, technology innovation and uh, partnership uh, innovations as we develop EV solutions uh, across the marketplace. You know, before we dive into uh, some of those um, uh, electric vehicle, uh, exciting electric vehicle uh, projects, give me a sense on the scope of S&B, because I think a lot of us here in Pennsylvania, it might not quite be a household name just just yet, but you're you're gigantic across the world. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about the size and scope of the whole organization. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great question. And, and Grant, feel free to add if I'm forgetting anything because there's so much uh, cool fact. So, uh, in terms of balance sheet, uh, we're talking about uh, $2 billion uh, of revenue, $2 billion of the balance sheet uh, slash market cap or equity. Uh, and then we have a backlog of uh, about $7 billion of project, which it's things that we already won and, you know, we just executed over the years. Uh, a little bit about the U.S. So we completed uh, close to $3 billion of mega projects in the U.S. since 2016. That was between uh, five major projects uh, in the energy, climate resiliency, and then transportation space. Uh, invested over $300 million of uh, equity. And uh, if we talk about renewable energy portfolio, we have almost half a gigabyte. We have uh, 450 megawatts of assets between solar and uh, storage. Just to jump and add in, like just a fascinating company. And like from a Pittsburgh perspective, uh, as Hagai mentioned, you know, we've been here since 2020. Um, so obviously a great, a great point in time to kind of start a, a business opportunity and, and the challenges that we faced. Um, but have also you know, expanded a lot of our activities to catalytic projects like uh, the CAP or the I-579 project here in uh, the center of Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh International Airport. We're part of the team developing the new terminal modernization project um, and do a lot of marine work also. So across the inland waterway and the three rivers here in Pittsburgh, but also uh, we have offices in Baltimore, Maryland and Virginia Beach. So we do significant amount of work in the port of Baltimore and, and across Maryland, um, as well as the port of Norfolk and Virginia Beach and across Virginia. So strategically positioned here in Pennsylvania, um, but a player in the mid-Atlantic region, um, as well as kind of projects like a guy mentioned in Texas and California um, and our flood diversion program in Far Fargo, North Dakota, um, which is super cool, but also it lends us the capabilities as a global company to bring all those resources from around the world where we have around 20 projects or 20 different countries where we have activities in, um, bring those assets and resources here to Pennsylvania as well. Yeah. And, and why Pennsylvania? I mean, we love, I mean, Rick and I, you know, we're, we're dedicated to the state, but what made Pennsylvania an attractive place for the company to locate its U.S. headquarters? I'll leave that to Hagai because he was part of the site selection team. So. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, <laughs> it's actually fascinating. And, you know, one, one more thing before we, you know, when we talk about Pennsylvania, I think, you know, we really start to uh, focus a lot of our efforts into the local market. And part of it, you know, you're always happy to work uh, closer to home and to contribute to the community you live in. 
but a lot of it was because of the great cooperation we could have, you know, with the different authorities here in the state. And, and it's really cool because uh, when you build stuff closer to home, uh, you know, one of the cool things about what we do is that you can actually see the result of your work physically. And if you can drive next to it and show it to your kids and to your wife, it's like, that's what I'm actually doing. It's kind of cool. Uh, it's a little harder to do it with it in Houston or in Fargo. We don't typically uh, drive there with a family, but now there is so many cool things around us that we either build or building. Um, so really enjoy that. As part of the, uh, as regarding regards to the site selection uh, kind of process, um, so it's interesting. So like I said, you know, the, the project in Houston was our first project and we were looking for the opportunity, not necessarily the geography. So it was where it was. And then once we already had that pin on the map, we actually did a strategy session, a pretty uh, extensive one with the Boston Consulting Group, kind of a combination of their uh, Tel Aviv office and their uh, US offices. Uh, and they marked four places. Uh, some of them will be pretty obvious. Actually, three of them will be pretty obvious being California, Texas, and Florida, you know, the biggest economies pretty much. But then the fourth region, which was uh, eventually more appealing, was the Mid-Atlantic. And, you know, there's various definitions to Mid-Atlantic, but they were basically talking about anything between Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Maryland. And we saw the opportunity from from a few perspectives. One, we were looking for places that are going to have significant infrastructure projects that we can get involved with. And, you know, as, this, as it always happens with planning, uh, reality tends to be a bit different, but if you are 70 or 80% right on your planning, you're, you're still doing a good job. Uh, so we actually thought that the DC slash Northern Virginia, Maryland area would be the most active one. Uh, and that was one of the things that was appealing to us in, in based, being based here and buying faith that has operations also there. Uh, but eventually Pennsylvania proved to be much more fruitful in this regard and we were pleasantly surprised. So that's our focus today, uh, but we still believe in this market in general. Uh, and just one, one more thing about that, you know, in, in the business we work in, um, it's actually good that as opposed to the three other regions, this region has three or four different states in it, meaning three or four different administrations. It kind of balances the risk. You know, if you work in California and the governor change and all of a sudden the entire uh, trajectory changes, uh, that could be a bit tough and you, you don't have any other options here. It kind of balances itself out, uh, but we're, we're very happy in Pennsylvania so, so far. Well, that's tremendous. So you're doing, you know, in addition to the traditional infrastructure, uh, you know, roads, bridges, the, the airport project, uh, learned a lot recently about your work with uh, electrification, electric transportation. You know, let's, let's talk about that. Um, Tell me about what SNB is doing in that area and just the tremendous opportunity that you see in that area um, as we kind of move away from the traditional combustion engine towards towards electric cars. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I'll speak a little bit about uh, how we got to that in SNB and, and why we find it so exciting, even though it's a bit early in this uh, you know, process of this market maturing. Uh, and I also let Grant talk a little bit about the 
funding opportunities that the market presents and, and the great incentive that you can get. Uh, but, you know, to, just to start off, um, you know, in SMB, we always try to stay ahead of stuff and being innovative. You know, Grant as our head of innovation can, can speak to that. Uh, we were pretty much the first in Israel to follow the public-private partnership model, you know, bringing private financing into projects. We are one of the first projects that is doing it in a large scale in the U.S. in the last 10 years. Uh, we were very early into the renewable energy world. I, uh, uh, you know, in the 20 years since of SMB, uh, I've been there long enough to remember how expensive were solar panels uh, in 2011, 2012, 2013. And, you know, and when you had to have like heavy subsidies to build projects like that, and today you can build them and they're cheaper than traditional electricity, traditional methods. So uh, it's kind of cool, you know, to be there so early and kind of catch your spot. And that's pretty much what we're doing with uh, e-mobility today. Uh, we realize that there's something bigger that's happening. The industry kind of reinvents itself. Uh, we see, you know, the great opportunity that it presents both from an ESG perspective, but also from economic and customer's experience perspective. Uh, but it's also a big challenge, and um, that, that's where we like to, to fit in. We like to uh, kind of allow customers to get as soon as possible to this next great thing. And Grant, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on the, uh, you know, on the funding opportunities that can help that happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's this great opportunity and, and great time in the marketplace where you see, you know, this inflection point between financing and technology. You know, so it, when you look at the marketplace and maybe just a little bit of backdrop, you know, I got involved in electric uh, vehicle or fleet electrification starting back in 2015, I think it was, when I worked with the city of Pittsburgh, and we developed our first fleet inventory. And so we looked at like the total cost of operations for what was at the time a thousand vehicle fleet as a part of our climate plan, but also as a part of our operations footprint. Um, and so how do you make, you know, operations of your fleet more efficient, more cost effective, but at the same time, how do you start to reduce emissions and and make your fleet more environmentally friendly. And at that point in time, you had one or two you know, vehicles that were viable in terms of what that transition uh, or, or would be available to help accelerate that transition. And then you had a, a, put, you know, a, a kind of a, a pool of resources like Pennsylvania's Alternative Fuel Investment Grant and tools that DEP have offered um, that would allow and incentivize uh, fleets to enable this sort of transition. And so we were really active in Pittsburgh in that space. And one of the things that attracted me to SMB was the opportunity to leverage, just like a guy mentioned, that P3 capabilities where you can bring private capital alongside of your traditional budget resources and public incentives. And so like right now in Pennsylvania and, and federally, maybe just to paint that picture for listeners a little bit, you know, there's $5 billion available through what's called the National Electric Vehicle Initiative, um, and, you know, and, which is a huge component in terms of corridor charging. So putting charging alongside of major highways like your, your 76 and 81 and 83 and I-79, um, all those major thoroughfares. Um, and Pennsylvania is you know, in queue to receive about $170-plus million in resources through the first round of that national program. Um, but there's also other tools that are available. You know, we look at uh, fleet operations, for example, where 
uh, school districts in Pennsylvania are now eligible for a billion dollars of resources that the Environmental Protection Agency has made available. Um, and then, you know, so that's really catalyzing school districts and school bus operators to have that opportunity to electrify their fleets. And the good news is, is that there's vehicles and technology that's available. So, you know, where the marketplace was, you know, maybe a little less than 10 years ago, where you had kind of first generation charger and first generation vehicles, that has quickly accelerated to market adaptable technology. Um, and then for individual owners or fleet operators, there's other resources like a $7,500 uh, rebate that's available through the federal government and rebates through the state of Pennsylvania um, or commercial tax credits. Uh, right now, there's $40,000 that are available per vehicle uh, for, uh, through the Inflation Reduction Act, another federal piece of legislation. So like all these funding sources are now available and meeting kind of that technology uh, availability. It provides a unique, uh, unique opportunity for uh, individual owners, fleet owners, um, you know, municipalities, school districts, universities to start to transition their fleets into electrification platforms. That's great. Another component of this I'm interested to hear your perspective on, um, isn't there a level of trust too from the consumer, from the company, trusting that these vehicles work and also trusting that there's going to be enough infrastructure? Where, where, does, where does that kind of stand in the market currently? Yeah, yeah uh, that, that's a great question because actually uh, I have some, some war stories to share just from, from last week. Uh, but maybe, you know, now that I got you curious, maybe I'll, I'll go a step back. Uh, I think it, it a little bit reminds me of when smart, smartphones became a thing. And we were all very quickly transitioning to it and understanding that the world will be different in a, in a better way. Again, it depends on your perspective, but at least from technological advancement in a better way. And there was this stage, if you, if you go back like 10 years ago, like the market was bombarded with technologies and apps and, and not all of it was, was perfect. So, so I think we were kind of getting to this point that it's not a rarity like it was like three, four years ago that the guys that were really ahead of the curve or really like environmental were the only ones driving their Tesla and telling everybody how amazing it is, but it was really like this kind of thing. It's got to the point that you have so much products in the market and the products are, let's say, 99% answering your needs, but you still have all those growing pains. You still have all those small things just because everything is new. It's a new world. We still don't know exactly how it works. We're always missing some small stuff. And uh, the war story I have for this week, so... Uh, I uh, had the privilege, uh, we work with uh, Francis Energy, which is one of the largest uh, developers of uh, fast DC fast charging uh, EV infrastructure across the US. And they're out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, now expanding into the entire US. And, and we work together in Pennsylvania and other places. And they invited us, uh, SK Signet, which is a Korean company, opened uh, massive manufacturing plant in Plano, Texas, which, you know, is another great example of how all these federal incentives actually, you know, move the market and create high paying jobs in Texas and moving companies from overseas to come over here. 
Uh, but that's not really the story. So we went to this event in Plano, Texas, which was amazing. Uh, but then we went to Tulsa to have some meeting and we decided we need to write a Tesla Model 3 because you can't make a trip like that and uh, drive a traditional gas car. Um, so we rented a Tesla from Hertz and we saw that they provided us with a lot of uh, adapters and uh, stuff like that. And uh, we knew that when we made this road trip from uh, Dallas to uh, Tulsa, uh, the only realistic options to charge will be stations of transit along this corridor. So the Tesla charges, you have one when you get out of Dallas and you have one when you get to Tulsa and it's, you're barely making it. Uh, so we were planning to charge in uh, one of the stations for Francis. Uh, and you know, we are in this industry, this is what we do. And when we got to the station, we realized that Harris gave us the wrong adapter and we can't charge there. <laughs> so we continued to Tulsa without charging and, uh, you know, the Tesla was uh, scaring us a little bit. It said we're going to get there with 20% left on the battery. So we said, okay, we have some margin. And then we realized that every mile we're driving, it goes from 20 to 19 to 18 to 17. Uh, so we slowed down, we turned down the air conditioner and we made it with 4% eventually, but you know, we, we we got to kind of feel all this pain. So yeah, it's amazing. You can go to Hertz and rent the car and you can go and buy a car for a great price. And uh, it's a phenomenal product, but it's the small things, right? You have the wrong adapter and you get into a scary situation. So I think this yeah. is kind of where the industry is. And I think that really the way to do it when you want to make a transition, if we talk about, let's talk about a fleet operator, whether it's a, you know, it's a business, that runs a fleet that it wants to electrify or a public agency like a school district that is running buses. Um, I think for this stage, if you want to make sure it's successful, you want to make sure that you have a trusted partner uh, that is there to hold your hand and to help you through all these pains and not just, you know, to buy a charger, to buy a bus and then say, okay, we'll figure it out. Because when you don't figure it out, the great opportunity also all of a sudden can look, you know, very painful. You know, it's funny too, just, just to add into that, like we had, uh, I had just had the same experience, two experiences to share. One is, you know, when we started the fleet transition, when I was at the city of Pittsburgh, the first challenge was, does, does the vehicle work, right? Like, is it going to do what it needs to do? And so we piled, uh, like we had a Ford Focus at the time and we piled five 200 plus pound guys into the Ford Focus. So it kind of looked like a, a clown car where everybody was like all shrugged together. <laughs> and then Bill, Bill would recognize us from being here in Pittsburgh. We took them up Rialto Street, which is like one of the oh. one of the steepest hills here in Pittsburgh. And the funniest thing was when we got to the top, everybody was like, yay. Like like they they made it. And it was like a roller coaster. They were excited right. and didn't think that they would get to the top. And I was like, guys, it's, it's just a regular car. It just operates the same way, you know? And so that's, that's like building that type of trust and having those types of experiences. But then the same thing, like I just took my, my first electric road trip uh, there on Tuesday and I stopped in Bedford uh, at, at a Sheets in Bedford. And, you know, it's the first time I've used any sort of public charging because I've just been charging at home. And here I had some sort of a, a glitch and wanted to charge a little bit further than what the, 
the charger was allowing me to. So I called the, the service number and within two rings, an operator picked up and said, can I help you? And I was like, at first I was surprised that somebody picked up. Second, I was surprised it was a human voice. And third, I had the issue resolved within about two minutes. And effectively, it was like I needed to slide a button, you know, on the dashboard to allow for more charging. And just to have that type of customer service um, for, you know, a novice EV driver was just really refreshing. Um, and, you know, and it, it made it really easy. That's a big piece of it. So you know it's a good podcast when one member, S&B, mentions another member's sheets. So that's <laughs> that's perfect right there. I, you know, we, we definitely appreciate that. We get points that. for name dropping so, other I mean, members? Is that yeah. like... Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Yeah, you go up on the scale. Yeah. Now, so if I'm a if I'm a, a a company and I've got a fleet and I'm I'm exploring, I'm thinking about this. What are some of the considerations that I need to be thinking about in terms of transitioning over over to fleet? Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a good opportunity when you do that to do you know your fleet analysis and really to check your efficiencies because it's really a great opportunity for efficiencies, not just from moving to a different type of energy, which, which might lower your cost, but, you know, generally to see that you're efficient and everything is planned. Cause I think the main thing that you want to evaluate, uh, is your usage pattern. It sounds trivial, but you know, devil is in the details. Uh, so you want to look into what kind of routes you're doing, uh, what are the stress cases, you know, what happens in situations that are out of the ordinary. And so that's the first piece of really analyzing what you're doing. And we do it with our customers, but that obviously the, the customer knows best um, his, his own patterns. And then the other pattern is really to understand what's out there in the market that can meet your needs. Uh, there's different levels of maturity, you know, like, for example, if you have a fleet of very heavy trucks that needs to go from coast to coast, unfortunately, it's one of the only things that is not a good electric solution for, or almost not at all. Uh, but if you operate, for example, uh, a fleet of small vehicles uh, that does last mile delivery, or if you operate a fleet of school buses, then you're in pretty much good shape. Uh, if we take the school bus example for a second, there, you know, one of the big things is really to understand your routes and really to understand your stress cases. So it's not enough to say my longest route is 60 miles, this bus has, I don't know, 100 or 120 miles per discharge, but then you have to kind of stress test it. What happens during the winter when, you know, you need to use the air conditioner uh, for heating uh, or what happens if I don't have enough time to charge? And, you know, this is not the, this is not the state necessarily to get scared away. It's just to say to understand what do I need to do and is it sufficient? What kind of redundancy plans do I need to have? And then you basically can run the numbers and see how much money you're gonna save. That's pretty much the thought process. Uh, maybe maybe one other thing along those lines, which is you know outside of the dry numbers, is you wanna think about the small stuff like rental, about customer service, how you're gonna make sure that everybody is happy. And you want to keep happy, you know, the, the end customer, whether it's the driver that you want to make sure he doesn't hate it after a week because there was two small problems that made him, you know, so sour about that. 
uh, and of course your clients, if, if you're serving uh, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, passenger public. Um, so you want to make sure that you give them good service and you have trusted partners that, you know, can take care of you as well as Grant was taking care of. <laughs> you know, the, the thing that I would add too is, I mean, we're, we're doing this with our own, you know, our own fleet. And so part of the, you know, we have a, we're a heavy construction company, right? So in addition to providing the e-mobility and energy services, we're doing a dive into what these operations look like for S&B's fleet of equipment, you know? And so we have heavy iron, you know, kind of the, your, your yellow construction equipment, like earth movers and excavators. Um, but we also have like a fair amount of on-road uh, trucks and activity. And so what you start to see when you do this analysis and we do this with clients is understanding like the two things, those, those costs and emissions and what those impacts are in terms of like your, your financial balance sheet, but also like trip patterns. Um, and once you have kind of that Venn diagram of cost, emissions, trip patterns, you can start to look at what types of equipment are available, but also what are the right types of charging strategies or charging equipment that you need to help service that equipment. And so those are the kind of the key differentiators that we work alongside of with clients and customers is to help them understand what their needs are and then how do you facilitate the right solutions for them, not just for today, but ultimately how do you make uh, future-proofing solutions as well. That's actually a great segue to my, to my uh, last question, which is, you know, how is S&B working with clients? How are you assisting in this transition and uh, you know, helping not only individual companies move forward with this and consider the option, but also uh, make Pennsylvania a, a friendlier state to uh, companies that want to move in this direction. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I'll, I'll start with 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 the final uh, uh, outcome, which is you know, basically we can do it all for client we can give a full solution uh and we can go as far as you know financing the whole thing and spreading it you know over uh payments over the years so the client will be completely agnostic to uh, energy risk financial complexities or risk and stuff like that you know we, we can take projects of two billion dollars and spread it this way so uh uh, it's not a big deal to do it for, uh, you know, a transition of the fleet, which is typically a few millions of dollars. Not that this is a small amount, but uh, in, in uh, P3 uh, terms, it, it is a, a fairly simple project. Uh, but, but, you know, then it doesn't have to be the full package. We can do the bits and pieces, and it's really a tailored approach. Uh, when you come to the client and you really understand what will work for him, what, what he can finance, what he can commit to, what he wants to do at this stage. Uh, but, you know, the most important piece is to really uh, start with what we spoke about in the beginning about like assessing the needs and educating the client about what's available out there and being objective about, uh, like I said, what works and what doesn't work and not just paint a rosy picture that this is going to be great and we're going to sell you all this stuff and then you're going to hate us uh, one second later. Uh, so it, it really comes into the space of, you know, working with these fleet operators and kind of uh, work with them to explain to them their options. One very important service that we provide, which I think is 
absolutely vital in you know in in uh, this day and age of, of where the industry is it will also help them to understand what kind of credits and uh, uh, you know uh, funding they are uh, entitled to uh, including doing the application for the clients on time uh, and in many cases we even with a public entity you know that is uh, subject to procurement rules uh, we try to apply some progressive models in which we say you know get us early on let us help you build a plan and you know if you will do the design for you and everything and if you don't like it after we gave you the design if you you know we're obviously going to give you a price of how much it's going to be able to cost what we design uh, but if you don't like it you can go somewhere else that's fine but we prefer to be in this stage uh, that the client really exercises options really understands what he can and can do because uh, we do find especially on the public space you know when you try to put an rfp out there uh and try to really prescribe what you want sometimes the rfp is just not successful because you're asking for something that will be inefficient and as a result will be expensive or you will just not going to get any response uh so really uh you know prefer to be in this stage of kind of market making for ourselves uh and and you know putting those opportunities in front of the clients and being as transparent as possible you know into laying down the options for them and uh, of course you know we would prefer that they will stay with us and will buy the whole thing for us but if they don't it's also fine we understand it's part of the game and you know we we are uh, we, we are enough confidence in the product that we sell uh, to provide this option. You know, the other big thing that's a part of that process is that, you know, as, as we do that evaluation alongside of the, the customer is really also helping the customer work with their local utilities. Um, and so whether that's Duquesne Light or PPL or First Energy or, um, you know, even some of like the rural co-ops have the ability for, uh, to translate kind of what that plan looks like and what that impact might look like on the grid um, or the types of services or technologies that could go alongside of and really make a winning solution when we get to the deployment phase. Um, and so that utility cooperation is, is something also that we provide to our customers as well. Yeah, that's a really uh, great point, especially as you come into you know, you mentioned the RFP process. I would think that a lot of these companies really wouldn't necessarily even recognize the important things to include in something like that when, when it's such a new tech, not, not only a new technology, but you're really uh, rewriting the rules in terms of the transportation and infrastructure that they might need. So that's, I think that's a great point. In some cases too, it's you're, you're providing effectively like a new infrastructure service, right? And so when you think about this really at the... Right. The macro scale and, and going back to some of Rick's early questions, like we're reinventing, you know, kind of the transportation grid and how we move around. And so that infrastructure, whether it's the, uh, the electrical power infrastructure, the supporting telecommunications infrastructure uh, that brings intelligence to these types of systems that go alongside of it, um, that all starts with a civil infrastructure question. And that's, you know, where a lot of our expertise comes in. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really transitional also in terms of business model. You know, it might be very aspirational, but, but in, in a way it kind of reminds the transition to cloud services that, you know, instead of paying of, you know, physical uh, storage space and physical computer services, you move to pay for, you know, 
megabyte or sorry megabyte or uh, gigabyte whatever you uh, uh, consume and it looks so weird a few years back but you know today the world kind of transitioning into that and in a way because of what happens in this um, in this industry uh, that basically you know the cost to buy the car might be a bit more expensive but the cost of energy is so much cheaper if you know to do it right and you have an opportunity to optimize your cost of energy you know with gas it's pretty much it is what it is right you go to the gas station yeah maybe you can squeeze uh, you know a few pennies out of it if you do your procurement right but it's pretty much it is what it is with electricity if you know you need to combine it with you know storage generation or just smart procurement no you know to use it at the right time and with the right uh, charging profile you can lower your energy cost significantly and that's kind of a specialty that's like the cloud service we're selling miles we're selling you miles with energy instead of you know selling you separately the car and the energy and this is you know really the transition that the market is having and, and trying to digest uh, uh, I used to work for uh, Monitor Deloitte, it's the, it's the strategy branch of Deloitte worldwide and uh, the partner I work with told me that he spoke with, you know, with a bus company on a strategy session, he's a very creative person uh, and through the conversation he brought to them this concept, why won't you turn to the Amazon, start selling mice, like they sell gigawatts of storage and said, you know, they looked at him very puzzled and I was like, us and Amazon, are you sure, you know, that you took your pills today? Um, but, you know, this is really the direction we try to take this industry to. And I hope that in five years from today that we will hear this podcast, we're like, oh, that was genius uh, and not the other way around. Absolutely. And, and, and Hagai, you've, you've got the trifecta because you just mentioned uh, Amazon and Deloitte, two more members. So that's, uh, that's pretty much uh, you, know, you win the contest. Hagai wins over Grant. Uh, two to one. Two to one. Well, listen, I, I, I really appreciate both of you taking the time today. I think this is, um, I think the business community is on the cusp of, of something really transformational. In, in this area. And I think we're, we're gonna be spending a lot of time over the next few years, decades, as we watch this transition happening. It's gonna be exciting looking back on having had this conversation. Terrific. We appreciate the opportunity to uh, share a little bit about the work that we do. Yeah, thank you so much. That was, that was great. Thank you for the opportunity and for your time. Thank you for listening to the All Business Podcast from the Pennsylvania Chamber. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. With almost 10,000 member organizations, the Pennsylvania Chamber advocates for job creation and greater prosperity across the Commonwealth. Visit our website at pachamber.org to learn more about us, our members, and how to become part of the statewide voice of business. We'll see you next time.